right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is episode number 327. So with that number, we're going to give a shout out to Australian Claire Polkinghorn. She scored the 327th Olympic women's soccer goals goal. Um, there have been 353 scored in the women's Olympic soccer tournament since it started in 1996. She had goal number 327 back in 2016, helping Australia defeat Zimbabwe 6-1 to end the group stage. So two chats today, first with former Olympic player for the USA, winning two gold medals, Angela Hughes. She was recently named the vice president of player development and operations for Angel City FC. Angela and I had a chat about what her role is going to entail, um, how her her previous work, not only as a player, but in her many various roles is kind of helping her with this new role. And also got her thoughts on the Olympic tournament and the U.S. national team as she will be calling some of the Olympic Games for NBC. Then I had a great chat with Anna Witte, a former Penn State women's soccer player who is now one of the analysts for NWSL Streams. She played with Rocky Rodriguez and Molly Weber and Britt Eckerstrom with the Nittany Lions back in the day. But now she's behind the mic calling the games and we had a really great chat too. And of course, there's a Gensplainer segment in this episode uh, going over the recently formally announced Olympic roster rule change that lets our four alternates, well, all the team's alternates, become full players. And don't forget to follow me on social media at MixZone, always with two X's, and at KeeperNotes. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Angela Hughley's a woman with so many titles um, that I was trying to figure out a really fun, obscure one. So we're going to go with, and I might be making this up, ACC Midfielder of the Year from the late 90s. How does that sound, Angela? <laughs> you know, I didn't play midfield until like my, Til the my national team. My, okay. my pro days. So for, let me, uh, let's go with forward. Yeah. I don't okay. know. I never have that title, but okay. We'll, we'll, we'll say offensive <laughs> MVP of most of Virginia late nineties. There, <laughs> there we go. Let's, <laughs> let's just make one up. I love it. That, I like that one. <laughs> Adding to my LinkedIn. <laughs> well, and I was so excited when I saw the press release a little while back, I guess it was like three or four weeks ago that, um, Angel City has named you vice president of player development and operations because, you know, the the history dork that I am, like, it's been so satisfying to see, you know, players that I watched in WSA now taking these real leadership roles in NWSL, right? Like, not just doing the talk, but actually walking the walk. And this, is, this isn't like, hi, I'll be an ambassador. This is going to be a full-blown day-in, day-out job. Yeah, absolutely. It, it totally is. I, th- I think um, it's an honor. It, and it's it's so, it's crazy when you do take that moment to um, stop and think about just that, right? Being a part of the first ever professional women's soccer league in our country as a player to now working in our women's professional league, um, in, in the U S and, and being on the administrative and, and the business side of things. Um, and I have, I've been just thrilled, um, with this opportunity. I feel very blessed. I feel grateful and thankful for, um, for the vision that everyone at angel city has, uh, to be, be in the company and, and leadership of our president, Julie Ehrman. Um, I, I'm learning from her on a daily basis. It's it's just truly incredible and a completely dynamic, exceptional group of, of colleagues that I have um, on, on this new team. And when you look back at, at your career, you know, playing in WSA, playing in WPS, playing with a national team, other roles um, that you've had in soccer, I mean, are there mentors that you've reached out to, you know, outside of Angel City going, hey, I remember you doing something like this when I was a player, you know, give me some advice. Or are there experiences you had as a player that you think are really going to inform 
you know, your role working with the players? A little bit of both, actually. I definitely am bringing my personal experience as a player. Obviously, a lot has changed since um, I was playing and then I retired in 2009. But um, unfortunately, I think uh, a lot hasn't changed, too. So I think those are the, the real opportunities that um, I, you know, I want to focus on in terms of the, the development side, especially uh, the, the off-field development side of our players, being able to maximize their opportunities as professional athletes, how they can leverage the platforms that they have in this finite period of time um, as a pro athlete, and then set them up for success, you know, to, to be the best that they can be um, as a player, but then also helping to bridge that gap. Uh, and then, and then also reaching out to, um, to, to mentors, to people who've, who've been there, who've seen it. Um, you know, one example recently, just having a conversation with, with Joe Cummings, who was my general manager, you know, at the Boston breakers. Um, and who, started- who I have to say was the boss Boston was the most successful franchise in WSA. Absolutely. People don't know that, yeah. but it was, it was the most successful franchise. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember the, the welcome package I got and, you know, the draft and, uh, and, and seeing Joe on stage holding the, the breakers uniform when the draft selections happened. Um, and, you know, to have, I think a, an historical perspective as well and, and to see what we've learned over the years, uh, and then also to see what opportunities exist now. It's just, for me, it's, incredibly exciting. And I think, um, to be able to help, help my, you know, potentially former teammates or, you know, most, (laughs) most of them are not, not my former teammates. Most of them have retired now too, but to, to be able to be in a position to, um, you know, support professional female athletes and, and footballers, um, is I think, you know, probably a once in a lifetime type of experience for me. Well, and I like that you pointed out, you know, looking ahead that, you know, helping them bridge the gap after a finite career, because, you know, I, I think for most of us, you know, growing up with sports in the U.S. And, and like you don't think about what happens to someone in the NFL or the NBA after their career. Right. Because in your head, you're thinking, oh, my God, they make so much money. It's, you know, it's not 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 something you think about. Um, but in, in soccer, not just women's soccer, but also men's soccer in this country, like, that you're not necessarily, you know, making serious bank, you know, playing in MLS or playing in NWSL and your career is only going to last so long. Um, And there are, the good news is there are so many more career options in soccer when you're, when your playing days are over, right? Not only in working with clubs, but, you know, coaching, broadcasting, et cetera. Like it's kind of growing at an exponential pace. So I I think that's such an important part of it where it's like, let's look at the whole journey for the player, not just, oh, you retired, we're, we're ignoring you now. You're, you're off our roster. Right. Which, which I think happens. Um, And it's, it's unfortunate and it's, there, there are ways to, to put systems in place so that doesn't happen. And, and there are different looks, right? There, there are um, things that a, a professional athlete coming in after just recently graduating from college um, will want to know and will have um, opportunities to learn about. I mean, about being a professional, even, even things, you know, as simple as, as retirement accounts or, um, you know, how, how to manage money properly and what that looks like, you know, being a professional and and earning money for the first time to uh, a player who's been in the league for a few years and, you know, at a different stage of her career. So um, I think being able to, to meet players where they are and, you know, allow them the opportunity to focus uh, on the field and to be successful and, and to win games uh, and to compete, but also how they can learn um, and grow in, in different respects, you know, when it's off the field type of education and, and resources, um, allowing them to meet people that, you know, w- with networking and um, being able to see different opportunities that will potentially um, need to be you know, watered and and taken care of and growing so that when the time is right, they have other people within their network and on their team that can be supportive uh, for their, for their next chapter. Well, and also part of your role is, you know, helping 
secure player housing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's got to be a little tricky in, in LA. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, you know, uh, yeah, so, but, but of yeah. course you do have a real estate background too, is right. your many titles. So that, that's, yeah. that's kind of handy, but like what, yeah, I don't know if you've gotten, if you guys have gotten feedback from any like current players in the league yet, or you're just going on, you know, your own player experiences, but like, you know, what kind of, what do you have? What's the checklist in your head as you start approaching, Hey, what's the best way to handle this? Yeah, I think, um, especially in Los Angeles, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Jen. I mean, the the real estate market right now, especially post COVID has been uh, a little bit crazy. Um, and especially in our market here. So having been in, in real estate for the last four years out in, in this LA market, I think is tremendously helpful uh, when it comes to that side of, of the job and responsibilities and flying, finding player housing, um, also securing our training facility where, where we're going to be training and then helping um, look at future potential opportunities for, for training facilities for, um, you know, potentially building our own. So um, right. you know, all of those things, I think, you know, we, we want to have quality. We want uh, our team to feel comfortable and at home and have great training grounds to, to compete and, and play because they're going to be spending the most of their time um, on that on a daily basis and in that, that environment. Um, and, and then, yes, the housing as well and making sure that, um, you know, accessibility and, and being in a really big market and city like Los Angeles, you know, what makes the most sense. Um, and also for players who might not know the area uh, very well or international players too, um, you know, making sure that they feel comfortable and, feel at home and start to be able to build this culture within the team and the club uh, and create this, this family culture as well. Well, and, and speaking of facilities, one thing that I've really noticed recently that, you know, we've made such huge strides in NWSL in terms, in terms of, you know, I I think like, you know, the jerseys look better, the, the CBS deal is better, the, the pay is better, um, but still struggling with venues. And, And I remember from having followed, MLS in the early years, like, like that, you know, was their biggest struggle. And that's not a hurdle that you can just jump over once, right? Like, you can't just say, ah, we found the perfect venue. As as you mentioned, it's sometimes it might be, well, you know, you're going to build your own practice facility. And and there's, it's not something that can happen overnight. And I have seen sometimes the fan expectation of, well, you know, Sporting Kansas City has this, so why doesn't the new Kansas City women's team have the same thing? It's like, well, the Sporting Kansas City men's team took like 12 years to right, <laughs> to, right. to, to find the land, find, you know, a sponsor. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's like none of that stuff happens overnight. But right. I do love hearing that, like, from the beginning, you know, this is something that clearly Angel City has identified as, no, we're not going to figure that out later where we're going to practice. This is a long-term plan that, right. you know, short-term we're probably going to have to rent, but long-term we want our own place because that's our home. And, and as you said, that's, that is where players spend most of the time. I've, I've seen, it's, it's, it's funny, like, like with Houston, when they first opened their MLS stadium and they were making such a big deal about some of the, the fancy player things at the stadium and and the kit man at the time was telling me he goes i don't need these things here i need these things at the practice facility right. we're only here on game day yeah. I'm at the practice facility every other day so that's why yeah. like like you said the practice facility really needs to be the home where yeah. the, the coaches can have meetings the players yeah. can hang out you can build that team culture and everybody knows that like here is the non-game day home of, of angel city yes. fc yeah. Tell me what what your role is going to be in terms of working with um, Eniola Luco. Yeah. Like, how does that? How does you know? So she's what's what's her official title? She's more like yeah, she's sporting the, director. She's the sporting director. So okay. You know, simplest way to say it is is any takes care of all of the technical things. Um, so hiring the coach to helping. Uh, with player selection and, you know, player recruitment, overseeing that um, and making sure that, you know, the strategy for, uh, you know, the style of play is set um, with the coach and, um, you know, 
helping helping to make sure all the technical aspects for for the players are taken care of and and my role are basically overseeing all the non-technical aspects so supporting uh the first team uh, from a logistical standpoint whether it's you know like we talked about the housing and accommodations to the player travel uh, the team travel um you know making sure that you know everything is set up overseeing the the equipment manager um uh, and the day-to-day so you know getting getting the players and the, and the first team and the staff to and from where they need to get to making sure that they're all set up and taken care of um, in addition to to that player development side. Well, and I do like that there's a line in the press release saying for you organizing all non-NWSL friendly matches. <laughs> so to me, that says, ooh, are we going to play Mexico <laughs> clubs? Are we going to play European clubs? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that would be where Eddie and I would work together in terms of, okay, what – what's going to be beneficial, most beneficial for the team, right. In terms of their preparation and, you know, and competition, if it's, if it's not NWSL, uh, and then from there, you know, my role would be working with, um, you know, whoever, whoever that is on the other side, the other teams, uh, to get that set up. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's operations, it's soccer operations as a whole. Um, and then, you know, any and I are basically kind of overseeing the, the respective sides. And what do you think about, um, I mean, I love this, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on San Diego coming in at the same time to kind of like start with a bang in South, yeah. you know, Southern California, like have have a, a rivalry right away. Absolutely. Let's do it. Right. I mean, you know, for, for me, you see the growth and that's what I love is, you know, adding more expansion teams. Um, I, I think they're there's uh, probably some thought too that people would love to see a, a Northern California team in the mix since uh, we already have a Southern California team. But I, I love the the potential ri- rivalry already. I think when it was uh, first announced, um, you know, loving to see the the uh, the Twitter world go crazy about the competition <laughs> already starting, and, and you know, internally we hadn't even gotten there yet. So um, I think it's great. I think it's great for the game. Um, it's great to see Jill Ellis, you know in professional women's soccer, um, you know, as the president of that organization. So, um, you know, for, for me, I think it's, it's all a positive and, and on the upside. Well, and I know you probably weren't very involved with, uh, you know, all of the work behind the design and the launch mm-hmm. of, of the, the crest and the colors. Um, I guess for you, that was more of like, Hey, Angela, let, let's show you what we're going to reveal next week. <laughs> um, but did you get in, have any feedback or was it just like a, wow, this is so much fun to be part of this. Yeah, that was for me the, the wow, because, you know, as a player, uh, you don't get to see how things get done, right? You don't see how much time, how much effort, how much thought gets put into, uh, every little piece uh, of detail, um, which, you know, sometimes, sometimes that doesn't happen, but for Angel City, it does. And, um, to be able to, to be on this side of things and to see the conversations starting, uh, to see the back and forth, um, of what really goes into it. And, then to see it to come to fruition, I think was really incredible. And, and, you know, with the crest itself, you know, every single element uh, and piece of that had meaning behind it um, and, and very thoughtful uh, meaning as well. So when the launch happened, um, we, we had a, the crest launch and, and the colors, you know, were revealed. And then the day after we had this, event in Los Angeles at the bank, uh, you know, where, where our games will be played bank of California stadium. And we had, I, I, I don't, I can't remember the amount, but a few thousand people showed up to this event nice. just to celebrate the, the launch and the reveal and, you know, and the excitement around angel city. And we don't have a team yet. We don't have, you know, players. And yet we have this community and this fan base and support. That's so incredible. Um, and you know, it just, shows how how much people really have been craving this this team um so you know if this is happening just right after the the crest and the colors have been announced you know i cannot wait for our opening game next year well and this shows you the benefit of planning in advance right something that you know nwsl just didn't have the luxury of doing right that it was a you know hey 
WPS folded, we need to start something. It started really quick, you know, here, you know, just like racing Louisville, um, you know, that what LA's, LA was announced middle of last summer, right? So to have all that planning, I mean, having to hire people and commission a logo and release merch and do all of this way before you even have a team or have to sell tickets, that means that, you know, when you actually have game dates, it's like you already have a huge list of people to email about, hey, who wants tickets, right? And they're already wearing shirts around town. It's just like, yeah, this is, you know, this is how you do it. Yeah. Well, let's I, had, talk. I, I had friends on the East Coast even just saying, hey, I've got, I've got my, my Angel City merch, you know? So, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I know, I know. City, but yeah. Well, and that's, that's so woso also is like, like everybody, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I follow many teams, right? These are my five <laughs> favorite players and they're all on different teams. So I root for all those sure. teams, right? Like it's just, <laughs> um, especially when it's, it's been small enough all this time that, you know, you're lucky if you have a team in your city, right? So if you don't, you just go, okay, this is my team. That's who I'm supporting. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, your other big project right now. Um, This will be a short-term project, of course, but uh, you'll be calling some of the women's soccer Olympic games, um, you know, and you've done a a lot of broadcasting off and on for ACC, uh, ESPN, you know, even some of the games on Lifetime for NWSL. Um, Talk about calling the Olympics. Is this your first time doing the Olympic tournament? This will be my third Olympics as uh, a commentator. Um, So it's, it's incredible, Jen. I mean, just the energy around, you know, the event itself uh, with, with the other sports, um, you know, I think we'll be a little bit of um, um, vampires with, with the games being called yes. early morning and <laughs> yes. East Coast time. Uh, I'll, I'll be based in, in Stanford, Connecticut, out of the NBC studios there. And they're sending uh, the, the team of, of Julie Foudy, Arlo White, and Marissa Pilla to Tokyo uh, to be there following the U.S. games. So um, it's just incredible, the energy, the, the excitement. Um, I mean, the players are playing you know, their best football uh, at the Olympic Games. So just to be a part of that, I think, is, is such an honor. And, um, you know, f- for me to to be able to be a part of the game and the sport in this way, um, it's it's always so much fun. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, yeah, can't wait. And what are your thoughts on the U.S. going into this tourney? I mean, like, the more I think about it, I feel like I, I can't think of us having a stronger team yeah. Uh, you know, going into the Olympics, when I when I think about maybe like the last three three cycles, that you know, one we got this bonus year of rest. I, I think it yeah. really benefited <laughs> you know Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan, but I, it also, of course, benefited Vlako Andonovsky to have more right. time to to pick a roster. I think you know one of the hardest jobs in soccer. Um, but you know, you've I know you've already been doing some of your research. Uh, on on other teams, but what what are your thoughts on this squad going to Tokyo? Yeah, I think I think the United States is so well positioned right now. Um, you know, probably one of the ha- hardest decisions uh, a U.S. coach has had to make with this roster, um, just because of of the pool, the talent, the the versatility of some players, um, and obviously Vlako kind of balancing, you know some of the, the injuries and, and the health um, and what that looks like. But I mean, you know, such a, a puzzle to put together. Um, and, and I a hundred percent agree, Jen, I think having that extra year uh, technically for the Olympics um, definitely favors the U S uh, it's, it's probably the biggest reason why it's not been done before the back-to-back championships of, a world cup winner than winning the Olympics as well. So, um, you know, two intense tournaments, uh, so closely together and having this essentially bonus year to prepare, to rest, to recover, uh, for the players. I mean, the U S always has the expectation to win and, and we always have the, the standards of, you know, it's almost their tournament to lose, but I think, this year more than any, I, I feel like that is definitely probably the theme for this U.S. squad. Especially when it, it's such a tough tournament that it's games every three days. Um, yes. And, you know, what had been a smaller roster now enlarged to basically your, your World Cup roster. I was so happy to see that. And and again, that, that benefits, I think, the U.S. Um, more than 
more than anybody. But uh, so last question for you of, of the three first round games for the U.S., which one are you most looking forward to, Sweden, New Zealand or Australia? You know, it's it's funny I, from from a fan perspective. I just love to see how they come out with the differences of, of how the teams will approach the United States. Um, and I think there's, there's always, um, a little bit of, uh, you know, with, with the Sweden game, obviously Pia is not, not there as a coach anymore, but, um, I feel like there's a little bit of that, that buildup, um, of history with us and Sweden. So yes. I, I tend yeah. to kind of look at that one, um, within the first round for, for the U S but, you know, I mean, that, Every every single game, it's 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 about what the United States can take away. You know, obviously they they want to go out there and get the three points, but um, you know they 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 have to show up and and be on um, because I feel like even now, even even now, teams play the United States in a in a different way. Um, you know, than they do other teams. So uh, every single match is is so important and how they can quickly adjust and adapt from one game to the next um, is, is so critical. So, you know, getting, getting those wins um, early. I mean, I remember back uh, in 2008 when I was on the team and we lost our opening match um, to Norway in, in the Olympics and, and to start off like that. And obviously, uh, we were able to recover and, and then hit the, the podium with the gold medal. But, um, you know, it's, it's a test every single time. And I think they're just so, um, so many little things that make a huge difference for this team and will ultimately determine, determine their success. But yeah, I, I, I tend to look at that Sweden game for, for the U.S. team. Yeah, and, and I do like that it's a pretty strong group. Yeah. Um, I mean, specifically, I'm glad we didn't have Zambia in our group, right? <laughs> like, 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 I think, I think it just builds us up and makes us stronger moving on to the the yeah. knockout stage if if they've got a really good group. Yes. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of those matches and and looking forward to, to hearing you as a soccer vampire like myself. <laughs> Yeah. So, so good luck with, with calling the Olympics and then your very big project after that, we are, we're all looking forward to, you know, seeing Angel City and of course, San Diego take the field, uh, you know, next year. But of course we have an expansion draft in the fall. There's so much, right? Like, oh, like you and I could go on for a couple hours, but I, but I think you've covered everything pretty well, Angela, <laughs> and, and I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Dan. Always great to speak with you. Thanks. Time for a little gensplaining. And this is one of my favorite topics because it means that our four U.S. alternates get to be actual Olympians this year. So this was announced this week and we heard about it last week um, but it's it is formal and official and actual now um each team normally for the olympics names 18 players and four alternates and you can only use those alternates if one of your 18 gets hurt and then that person that's hurt can't come back to the team the Netherlands Federation and a few other federations supported their their appeal. They appealed to FIFA, who then appealed to the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, saying, hey, this is such a compressed tournament. Um, it's kind of exceptional circumstances with COVID and other factors. Can we just make all 22 players eligible? And given that uh, UEFA made a, a similar exception for the Euro this year, uh, they got the support of FIFA. They got the support of the IOC. So all 22 players for each national team, the 18, the original 18 plus their four alternates, all 18 are now full Olympians, uh, which means they can all get a medal if the team medals. Uh, but more importantly, it means that each team can pull from that pool of 22 for each match day. Now, you can still only suit up 18 players on game day, but you can use any of the 22. So for Lynn Williams, for Jean Campbell, for Katarina Macario, and for Casey Kruger, 
that's huge. Um, they're not just there training um, and being good teammates. They can actually, you know, partake in the event. And for all the teams, I think when you look at how compressed the Olympic schedule is, where there's games every three days, often with travel in between, um, it's a much more compressed schedule than the Women's World Cup that it allows to, to rest players. And I, I think it'll just make for a better tournament overall. Haven't heard yet um, if this will juggle any of the, the numbers, because as we've seen in the past, when you have your Olympic tournament where you can only use players numbers one through 18, we've seen players have to take lower numbers, right? Like Kristen Press is wearing 11, Crystal Dunn is wearing two. Uh, we had Tobin Heath move to number seven. Um, you know, obviously now number 19 is open again, but I don't think they're going to change numbers. So hopefully all that makes sense. And I'm just excited for the four alternates from every national team that now get to be full Olympians. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Anna Witte, NWSL broadcaster, former Penn State player and all around, I think, let's say knowledgeable soccer person. How about that, Anna? Let's go with it. I like that. (laughs) Let's go with that. (laughs) Well, you're one of the new broadcasters for NWSL streams this season, and I'm always excited to see a former player get involved because then I know that they know their shit, right? Like... I was like, and that you've like played with these players and all that stuff. But I want to hear a little bit about you, like, uh, you know, your experience, just a little bit about your experience playing college soccer and then how you decided post-college to go into broadcasting. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. So how I kind of got to Penn State or my journey in the soccer world is I grew up in Cary, North Carolina, which if anybody follows soccer really at any (laughs) level, you'll know that... Carrie <laughs> is uh, a home place for a lot of just great soccer players and great soccer events. So I grew up in that culture back when it was Castle. Uh-huh. And um, when I went to college, honestly, I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I didn't really know in what capacity. I, I love football. I love soccer. I love basketball. So I just went in with the mindset I want to go to a school where they have a phenomenal journalism program. I can network and meet great people in this industry, but also get to play soccer with some of the best and be coached by some of the best. And I don't have any connection to Penn State in my family. My dad's from Pittsburgh, but I just grew up being a massive Penn State fan and uh, obsessed with Penn State football culture. And as I got to know about Penn State soccer... Coach um, Coach Erica was great, and just the team in general was something I wanted to be a part of. So, yeah, I went to Penn State, and it was so much fun. I had a blast on the team, met some awesome people. I got involved in sports um, and got to cover football, some of the men's soccer. I got to do some stuff with Big Ten Student Network since it's a Big Ten school. They do they allow nice. um, students to do broadcasts, so that was really great and got to work with basketball a little bit and that's just really how it all started for me. Well, and tell, tell us a little bit about um, some of the players that you played with who are now in NWSL. Let's think. Okay. Some of the players, well, Rocky Rodriguez is the first one that comes to mind. Of course. Rock's the best. I love her. She's a better person than she is soccer player. Honestly, um, she's phenomenal. And then who else? Um, Gosh, Britt Eckerstrom, but Britt's not in the league anymore. Yeah, but yeah, just one of my good friends. And then, um, let's see, Mallory Weber would have been on Maddie Nolf, Mallory oh, Weber, Elizabeth Ball, Kaylee Reels in the league. Um, There's a lot of Penn Staters. Amanda, there Dennis. are a lot of Penn Staters. Christine Nairn's in the league, but we, yeah. we didn't overlap. And she was actually going, the NWSL started up my freshman year. So she trained with us in the spring or in the fall of my freshman year to get ready for the 2013-2014 draft. Interesting. Am I right on that, Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 
So a lot of great Penn Staters, uh, a, a lot of just great soccer players and obviously in general and people who came from all different parts of the country. And uh, yeah, it, w- it was really fun. It's, and it's great to be able to see um, them be successful in this league and just be successful at their craft. Uh, I love whenever I see any of them on TV or on social and seeing them be successful, but also challenged in, you know, a new league, a different, you know, a different team, a different you know, culture, when you go from college to professional, it's definitely a huge jump. And you're playing with all new people from, you know, wider range of ages than college. And obviously when you were youth. So yeah, yeah, it's it's fun to watch. Well, and it sounds like you were interested in journalism and broadcasting before you hit college. So what, what led to that interest? I mean, were you always watching sports growing up and pretending, you know, to like announce games? Yes, Jen. Oh my gosh. Yes. I am a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. My dad, my mom uh, are huge football fans. Um, So my dad's from Pittsburgh. So I grew up Uh a a Steelers fan, the Hurricanes, the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't know if you watch the NHL, but they are basically in my backyard. A lot of the players when I was in elementary school lived in my neighborhood. So they would play uh, rollerblade hockey with my neighbors and us and just get out and like hang out with us. So I just loved, I got to see them in my own backyard. So I loved going and watching them play. They won the Stanley cup in 2011. We got a pool party in my neighborhood pool with the Stanley cup. Oh my gosh. Come on. So I just, (laughs) I got to see so much of the sports world, like up close, like my best birthday presents were tickets to Pittsburgh Steelers playoff games. And I just really enjoyed watching football and I, I will always interested in athletes stories. I always wanted to know where were they from? How did they grow up? Why were they so good at the sport? Why did they mm-hmm. even play the sport? And just diving deeper into people. And once I got a little bit older, I really wanted to be a sports sports broadcaster, like since I can remember. And as I got older, I watched, you know, five minutes of sports center at 7am every morning before I had to leave for school and just watching different people on the TV, how they can show their personalities. And then I used to tape myself. This is embarrassing, but I'll admit it. When I was really little in my closet, I would set up (laughs) like my camera and I would write up news stories, like sports stories, as if I was an anchor on ESPN or whatever. That is so awesome. (laughs) I would record them and I wish I still had them. I wish it was, you know, we had iPhones back then. I don't know if I could find those, but I just, I would like hide. I didn't want anyone to know that I was practicing, but this is exactly what I've wanted to do. And obviously this industry has grown and evolved so much from what I thought it was going to be when I was seven years old, but I've really enjoyed the journey and it's just really cool that I can kind of do what I did in my closet when I was seven years old. <laughs> well, Anna, we're glad that you came out of the closet yeah. and that you joined NWSL Broadcasting. Uh, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about NWSL this season. I mean, I know you've been paying attention to it before you started calling games, but mm-hmm. talk about what you've seen this season, like the the exciting storylines for you and, and, and the teams you think could, you know, could, could take the whole thing. I think the Orlando Pride coming out strong was really cool to watch. I think we've seen this team from the beginning have so many strong pieces with Ashlyn Harris, Allie Krieger, Alex Morgan, Marta. I mean, we could go on, Sydney LaRue. And it just all of a sudden seemed to click. I think there's a few key pieces. Uh, I think Mallory Peterson. Sorry, not Mallory Peterson. Um, Courtney, Peterson. Courtney Peterson. Mallory Peterson is one of my <laughs> old teammates from Penn State. Um, <laughs> uh, she has stepped into that back line. And I, I don't know. There's been some pieces that I think I've been able to see them click and they have a swagger to them. And, you know, now they've moved down. They've gotten two losses in the league. But I think we've seen a crazy, crazy year. It's just sometimes teams are winning. Sometimes teams are losing. We have new teams like Racing Louisville in the league and getting to see some of these younger players um, come in and play against bigger competition. It's fun. But I think my favorite thing overall so far is with the Olympics coming up and with the NWSL getting two new teams next year, some of these players who are bench players now and low-minute players – now being able to step on the field and really prove what they have and play more than just 15, 20 minutes a game yes. and potentially earn a, st- a starting position in a year. There's going to be 30 you know, players next year that are going to be consistent starters on a team in this league. And 
I think that storyline is so fun to watch. And one that I that's kind of come to fruition is uh, Laura Millay. Yes. And her with racing. And I used to watch her with the courage, such a talented player, but that team was so stacked. Now getting to see her kind of be more incorporated with this racing team is just really fun. I love underdog stories. And I think with the league expanding, we're going to be able to see more of it. It keeps us on our toes. Well, that's what I liked about the fall series last year, um, as wild as it was, knowing that since the expansion draft was coming up for Louisville, I was, I was like, this is an audition for a lot of these players. It's also a way of, hey, proving that you still want me on your team for next year or I should have a raise or you know any of that. Like, um, It was so open and wild. I really enjoyed that. And I agree with you about, about the, the Olympic window. It'll probably be a little less wild than the fall series, but... Right. It is, you know, that perfect opportunity for these players who deserve to have more minutes, that that they are starter level. It's just this league is so deep, so competitive. And um, Coach Parsons. Yeah, it's hard to get on those lineups. I know, exactly. And I think that's the other thing, too, is there's so many good personalities and players in the collegiate level that we're going to see more of that, which is which is, I think, really beneficial for the league when it comes to more personalities and helping the league grow from that aspect. But yeah, Coach Parsons was talking to us before the game against the North Carolina Courage two weeks ago now or a week ago. Uh-huh. And um, he said this is my favorite time. This is when coaches earn their money is during the Olympic period when you don't have your star studs like Lindsey Horan on the field and Crystal Dunn. You have these players that are coming in to prove themselves. And he said, there's always one who rises to the occasion. And that kind of really got me pumped for, you know, what he's going to do more specifically in the next few weeks. So yeah, no, that's, that's one of the big things I love about the NWSL is where we get to see a lot more people shine. Now, when you are watching a team, say like, let, let's talk Kansas City. Um, of course, I don't know if you've called any Kansas City games now that I say that. But like, um, they're in such a strange position, right? So they're not a completely new team the way Louisville is in that they inherited Utah's roster. But clearly, you know, they brought in a lot of different other players. It's a different coach. It was a late move to a new city. Um, you know, they're, they're still struggling to find that first win. That being said, they're in every game, right? You know, so, you know, what's it like for you as a broadcaster watching that, that kind of game? And then, you know, I'm sure as a former player, you're looking at that and, and maybe rem- remembering struggles of some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is. I got to call their game against the pride and I think it's just, it is difficult and I feel, you know, it's it has to be frustrating on their end that there's something not clicking. I really think that's the only thing missing for Kansas City is they're just not clicking. They're not finding those pieces that and you you see buildups from them that look really good, but they can't find a rod's foot up top and they're really struggling to to build the ball all the way out from the back and they have phenomenal center midfielders like Labanta is a stud and and has such a great shot and she's all over the field. There's so many small pieces to the team. I just think any sport that has that many players on the field, it has Everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to have the same goal and they have to be on the same page for every single game and not just game, but every practice. Like everyone needs to be mentally intact throughout the week to make sure when you know game day comes around, you guys know exactly what you're trying to do, what the game plan is. And you can just tell there's something missing right now for them. Um, we see like hints of their bril- uh, brilliance. Yes. You know? We see so many small little things. Jessica Silva, Mariano yeah. Marroquette, like, like they're bringing but in Silva's more But still new, you know? She's, yes. She's still new to the, the team. And, and, and A-Rod hasn't played much with her. And some of these players who normally play off A-Rod haven't played with her. So I think maybe just small details. But you could compare them to racing Louisville, who they're new as well. And we're seeing more brilliance from racing. So my only counter to that would be racing has more younger players who can be more impressionable earlier on. So maybe Coach Holly is able to 
some of these younger players like be like, okay, this is tactically our goal. And they haven't had any other experience at the professional level. So they get it. Maybe with KC, it's different, but yeah, it is frustrating. I I do feel bad because they are such a good team and they're, like you said, literally in every single game, they get some really good opportunities, but they just can't finish. And with, with racing Louisville, like being a true expansion team, I mean, Kansas city counts as an expansion team, but like, Christy Holly got to plan that roster, right? And do the expansion right. draft. And so he was building the roster from scratch where Hugh Williams is basically, and he inherited, I would say, two thirds of a roster. Right. You know, has has made tweaks of it. So it's going to take, I just think it's going to take them longer. But what I like is that even with those struggles, they're not what I would call, a, you know, a basement dweller team that is never in any game. Like, you no, know, like, like what not. we remember with, you know, some some Boston years and Houston the first year and, you know, sky blue years, you know, where it's, it's like, you know, you're, you're lucky if, if, you know, they they get a goal or, or, or find a win. We're here. It's like, no, nah, this this team's in every every game. And, you know, Louisville's had their struggles, too. We, we've seen them, you know, shut out twice by North Carolina and, and also by Portland. But we're seeing improvement and, you know, we're seeing, seeing win. So it's just like, I, I love that there's, you know, kind of like you, like there's, there's all these stories and there's something to root for and that there's no team that can travel anywhere and go, oh, well, this, this you know, this will mm-hmm. be easy. Yeah. You know? um, and I'm really excited that, you know, next year, like you were referencing, we'll have two more teams, which means basically 30 regular starters, but more importantly, like, up to 56 new contracts, right? Because because you know your roster wow. is 28. That's that's amazing, you know, to to me. And that that means a whole extra game per week, right? I mean, and, yeah, and not an odd number of teams, right? So we don't have a really awkward schedule. Like um, mm-hmm. I look back at how the schedules were, like in 2014 and 2015, where they were trying to really condense it into a shorter period of time so there were a lot of midweek games and then i look at at now and it's like oh it's so nice that they're so rare that we have midday midweek games i mean it, it, again that contributes to how great you know the, the play is but anyway let's go back to um you know you and calling these games give me give me a little taste of how you prep for these games um especially the, you know this is your first season calling game so you know did you go back and watch some of last year's or you just focus on you just went to like challenge cup and watch video or you know what what kind of things do you do to prep so yeah no this is my first season calling nwsl i called a courage uh, and pride game in 2019 um mm-hmm. but this is this is my first professional i call college soccer but professional is very different and uh, how I start normally I go I make a spotter board so I write down everybody's basic information and um, like ages and and so I can kind of see you know is this a, a young team an older team and and look up storylines from there and then I kind of look at stats really really briefly because that's not necessarily my job as an analyst to provide that um, so I watch games really I you know I have basic information basic storylines maybe if there's one that I find really interesting that if there's injuries or uh, during these water breaks we could bring a cool storyline into the into the game but I really watch film and I don't go that far back especially when I call like a lot of games at once when I uh-huh. when I called last weekend I called six different teams so <clears throat> It's hard to like, you know, you can't watch that much of one specific team. You really right. have to delve into their last two games. So I try to watch their two or three games prior to the game I called. And, and with NWSL, sometimes they play each other as well. Yeah, so yeah. I really look for tactically what are they trying to do. Um, and I try and understand. I really, I really love – I was an outside defender. I really enjoy watching – how the defense works together and mm-hmm. how the center backs work with the midfielders and, and, and kind of the skeleton of the field and just, yeah. you know, how the midfielders work with their outside or yeah, with their outside midfielders and forwards. And then uh, I like to talk with the coaches. Obviously we get coaches calls with every team before games and we get a few questions to ask them. And I really just get to ask them tactical questions maybe. And I always ask them about themselves, what, 
what do they um what is kind of their game plan but also kind of what is what's different from the last time that they played this team or what's similar and who do we really as analysts need to keep an eye on for them to do what are they going to try and do in the first five minutes of the game or the first five minutes of the second half so um, prep is really more about watching the game when you're an analyst and, and understanding how teams work together play by play normally takes care of the details the right not the details but you know what i mean the stats right. and yeah yeah so i, I mean one description I heard once is play-by-play is the what and the analyst is the why. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that's what being an analyst, you know, you can prep so much, but it, especially being an analyst, it's you have to show up and just watch the game. And especially if you know the game really well and you kind of understand tactically how teams work, then you're, you're good. You're golden. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the last topic, the U.S. Women's National Team. We now know, you know, the final roster for the Olympics. We know that they get to use all 22 players, which is really exciting. Right. And they just, you know, fine. Did their final uh, send off games, two games against Mexico, both four zero wins. What what are your thoughts on on the roster? I think a lot of veteran players on the roster. I know we were talking before. There's eight new players that we didn't see in the World Cup last, but or I think no, in, in the last Olympics, last Olympics. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, but it's still it's still a veteran team and a team. Yeah. We've seen them. I mean, the World Cup. The only new player is Christy Mewis, right? Well, but now that we have the the alternates, the alternates. TV, that means that you've got four Five more new, new ones yeah but really still like if you look at like that only one of the 18 was a newbie that's that's huge right exactly exactly um i think we know what we're gonna get from them i think you know after watching the send-off series and everything we kind of knew how u.s soccer works when it comes to this group of women on the field um i think it'll be fun and exciting to see how um, they stack up, but I think we expect them to go in there and dominate like they always do. But I also think uh, it'll be interesting with a new coach who's never really been to a big tournament like this before yes. with this team, how he handles handles this, handles this pressure and tactically how he does his thing. As Like the game on Monday, the last send-off game for the U.S. Women's National Team against Mexico, we saw them put on a ton of pressure in the first half. They scored four goals. You could right. tell he he operated that way. He wanted that to happen. He just wanted the team to go into the game. I I He went into the game saying, okay, we're down two to zero. Act like you're down two to zero and put as much pressure as you can. Come ah. back out of that deficit. We do at Penn State. We we played a lot of trainings like that, where there would just be situations, and you would play like you were in that situation. So right. I could see Vlaco and Anoski being like, "All right, you guys are down by a lot of points. You got to win." And then in the second half, we didn't see as much as of that pressure uh, from the U.S. Women's National Team. Right. So, um, no reason for anybody to get hurt going right. In exactly. Tackle. Yeah. And only 45 minutes of high pressure, not even that many minutes, but just a few minutes of high pressure. And then um, just play your game, have fun, enjoy it. I'm And and yeah, so I think, like I said, I think we're, we know what we're going to get out of them. But I'm I'm really happy for Christy Mewis that she gets to be a part of this team. I think it's a cool story with her sister. I think she's proven that um, she belongs on this team. And I also think this goes to show NWSL players that if you bust your butt in the league, you can earn your yourself a spot on the national team. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and it's funny before they made the change on, on the alternates, I was thinking, you know, we've got a really good chance, but this is going to be tough. Once they said, okay, the alternates are full players too. I was like, okay, we've got more depth than anybody that, you know, benefits us. I think, um, the most, um, so I, I feel like this is the strongest, fittest, uh, you know, most dominant roster we've had for an Olympics. And it, it's funny, our group, I didn't realize this until they said it on the broadcast yesterday. Every coach in our group has once been a U.S. coach. All right. So you've got Tony Gustafson for Australia, Tom Sermani for New Zealand, and Pia Sundaga. No, 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 I'm wrong. Sorry. Okay. This is, I was right. So, 
it's Sweden's in our group, but it's no right. longer PS. She's with Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was right. just, I guess I misheard the bracket, but I was like, oh my God, that's like, it's just so weird, right? Like all of our coaches have gone to other places, but still my, my main point with the group thing is I like that we have a tougher group, I feel, than we did in 2016 that uh, mm-hmm. we like Columbia, even though we ended up tying them because we kind of had some some shoddy defense in 2016. We're not a really strong team where I feel like New Zealand should be stronger, could be stronger. Right. Of course, they haven't played in a while, but I feel like that's a really strong group, um, you know, to play play Australia and Sweden because then it means I think coming out to the quarterfinal we've got a chance for a slightly weaker quarterfinal matchup it's right. always hard to call though of course because how the quarterfinals fall because when you only have 12 teams that means two third place teams go on so like the quarterfinal matchups are always weird and the whole reason that we are allowed to use alternates you know that games are every three days it's pretty brutal Exactly. You know, and, and and I love that the that US soccer did the summer series where they did three games in quick succession in very hot Texas to you know against teams with very different styles to kind of mimic you know that 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 situation. I think that's that's probably some of the smartest prep they've done cuz I think back to 2016 mm-hmm. they played two friendlies against Japan in June and then they had friendly against South Africa and then a friendly against Costa Rica, like a week apart. So it's, it's like none of those prepped the way that that June series was really smart prep. Um, so I, I feel like this team is uh, more prepared than they've been in a, in a long time. And, you know, I, I think we're lucky that with the delay that meant that Alex Morgan is back from from pregnancy fully fit and mm-hmm. you know firing on all cylinders you know four goals in four games for Orlando Pride mm-hmm. you know Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd I think they benefited from having that shutdown like they got the mental and physical rest you know that that their bodies needed same you know same for any of the players that are, that are a little bit older and and I have to say I was stunned but pleased to see how well Tobin Heath has been playing uh, just in these two two short appearances, right? Like that, she comes on the field and gets that goal from distance last last week, and it, it, it's like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, she's back, right?" But that's got to make her feel good, the team feel good, Vlaka feel good, right? Like I I feel like they're they're heading to Tokyo with you know all all their ducks in a row, right? And no one really knew injury status where she was at. I think people right. knew she was okay but but and she didn't even want to talk about some of the injury right like no injury was masking another injury or something she's like i don't want she was really close to the chest with that one she did not share so yeah exactly it was it was good to see her come out and score and contribute so much i mean so talented but we just didn't know when she you're coming back from an injury and especially when someone keeps that so private normally it normally means not necessarily things are great but she looks, I mean, I, to me, I thought she looked just as good as she did prior to her previous to her injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was good to see uh, during the summer series, she wasn't dressing on game day, but she was training. So it was like, right. okay, good. that's, that's a good sign. So really the last piece for the U S um, and at this point to me, it would just be icing on the cake is if, you know, Julie Ertz is healthy and, and can play, you know, the nice thing again is, is having your alternates be full player. There's less pressure on, on her return. And I also feel like Lindsay Horan having played in that slot a little bit gives Vlako Nanowski more options. Right. right. And you know, that seems to be the conversation that I keep reading and hearing about is Julie Ertz being injured and Lindsay Horan filling that role. But did we expect Haran not to do a good job filling that role? I don't know. I just, I feel like that was definitely a no brainer. And Haran is just one of those players who is all over the place that she's not necessarily, she's a box to box player, but she can play that holding position. She's a great defender. I don't understand. Like, I think it's a no brainer. I always expected her to do well stepping into, um, to that role. Yeah. If Julie Ertz was injured, but I mean, I think if Julie is, is healthy, that's great. But I think, you know, I think they won't re- really miss a beat with her in there. And, and 
I, Julie Ertz is one of my favorite players on the national team. I love the way that she plays that position. But I think with this this team in particular, like there's so many good, like she's able to fill that role really well. Yeah, and, and I like that, you know, obviously Haran is not the same as Ertz, right? She's more right. like back-minded. But I love that depending on who the opponent is, Vlako has options. It also means... Again, with games every three days, you can rest players and and change up the lineup, and it's still a very a very potent lineup, right? It also right. like so she can play there or she can come into the back line, right? Like like yeah. our our versatility in this roster to me is so amazing, and and I just you know want to say one more time, I'm just I'm so happy for those four alternates because being an alternate for the Olympics is just kind of weird, right? You don't count as Olympian at the team medals. You don't get a medal. You're not suiting up. You're sitting in the stands. So now those four, like not only can they actually contribute to actual games, but they, you know, they get to be part of the whole team. So you're not this weird, like, okay, I have to be really positive, but inside I'm desperate to play. <laughs> you know? Right. And 22 isn't, a lot of players on, right. on the field. Right. I mean, right. when you're a youth soccer, normally when you only have an 18 player roster, it's it almost seems like a no brainer for women to have so many players on the roster because you never know with injuries, short uh, short amount of time in between games, you need those players on. Yeah. You know, I feel yeah. like yeah, I agree. I th- feel like it was a no brainer to add them to the yeah. The full it was roster. yeah. So so relieved. Well, when I heard that right. the Netherlands had been put had put in that request and FIFA was backing it, I'm like. Yes, that would just make everything yeah. so much better. And well, it's just Anna, great for them as individuals, too. Oh, to yeah. Be able, you know, like, it's yeah. well-deserved. Yeah. As, especially Lynn Williams, who we've seen her fight so hard and and the way she reacted, you know, it's, it's like getting back-to-back bra- bra- braces, like, you know, for North Carolina. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, she's, she's, she she's just, got something to contribute. Right. Absolutely. And I think we saw a lot of that once the roster got named and she was at the time an alternate, but she was just able to play more of herself. I think the beginning when they were still deciding the roster, you could tell she was, you know, trying to prove herself and trying to play really well. And sometimes that can get in the way of the game. And she just really stepped into herself once the pressure was off and it was Lynn, go out there and play your game, play your style, have fun with it. You know, you don't need that pressure anymore. You made the team and we saw her score four, four goals in two games. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time, taking a lot of time to talk with me about all kinds of women's soccer stuff. And I'm so glad, I'll say it again, I'm so glad to see you, you know, on, on the broadcast crew and just keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Jen. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, we are so close to the kickoff of the 2020 or 2021, however you want to call it, Tokyo Olympics. The soccer games will start Wednesday, July 21st. This is before the actual opening ceremonies. Um, For many of us, it'll actually kick off late night, (laughs) July 20th. Games are basically in the middle of the night for those of us in the U.S. So I've put all of the Olympic games, uh, the entire schedule for women's soccer in my Keeper Notes Google Calendar. Uh, If you can't find it by searching within Google Calendar, you can go to KeeperNotes.com, click on Wosopedia and scroll down. You can find the Google Calendar link so you can see I've entered all the group games and all the quarterfinals, semifinals, bronze medal match and final. Now, what I've heard for broadcasting is the game should stream on NBCOlympics.com. I'm assuming that will be free and live, which means those will be mostly middle of the night games. Um, There will very likely be replays on NBC Sports. Um, But all that stuff should be announced, you know, within the next week. And I'll be sure to add that information to the Google Calendar as I get it. Bottom line, you should be able to watch free on NBCOlympics.com from wherever you are in the world. 
And of course, we will have NWSL action continue through the Olympics with five games each weekend, all available on Paramount Plus in the USA and Twitch everywhere else, except for there are a couple matches that are exclusively on Twitch. Keep in mind, if you're in the USA, you can only watch on Twitch for the games that are exclusively on Twitch. Otherwise, Twitch is just for out of USA viewers. And of course, Twitch is free. Um, you do have to set up an account if you want to chat, but and, and that's free too. And yes, Paramount Plus does require a subscription, but it's inexpensive. There's so much content that it offers, and you can even go back and see all of last year's Challenge Cup games, most of the fall series, everything that, that's been on either CBS or Paramount this year, plus the the Challenge Cup bubble documentary that they just released on Paramount+. Plus. It's inexpensive, and I gotta say, it's a great way to show CBS why they should keep investing in the women's game. If you want to put your money where your woso is, that's how to do it. If you're complaining about a small monthly fee to watch every game and access every game that's ever been played, then you're probably not interested in supporting women's soccer. But hey, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. And speaking of supporting women's soccer, merch, merch, merch. There's always merch, right? And NibbySellShop.com now has some clubs' primary kits available for sale. And the shop does offer international shipping. So for those of you outside the U.S. that have been maybe looking for jerseys, that's check out NibbySellShop.com. Of course, all the individual clubs have their own online stores too, but they don't always offer international shipping. If you have any kind of merch question or jersey customization question, hey, you can email me, keeper at keepernotes.com. I'm no longer uh, managing a soccer store, so I don't have direct access to get stuff done anymore, but I can answer questions and in many cases refer you to someone who might be able to help. And last but not least, um, if you haven't seen it before, I highly recommend you check out my NWSL Almanac. You can buy it in print or PDF or both. Just go to KeeperNotes.com and click on Almanacs. Um, the, The most current one, it has everything from the 2013 season through the 2020 season, including Challenge Cup and Fall Series from last year. Um, lots of data, player registry, photos, coaching registry, records, playoff lineups, all kinds of fun stuff. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Big shout out to Roughneck Scarves and IcarusFC.com for their support. Also want to thank everyone who listens, emails, follows, shares us with a friend, replies to trivia on game day, all that good stuff. I always appreciate people getting engaged um, with with my content, especially the trivia. And big thanks to my producer, Sean Ringrose, and also to the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.